I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you. Know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem. I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean spirited, just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you uh, the legendary Mort Saul. And for once, I think I actually mean introducing because uh, hopefully most of our listeners didn't grow up listening to Mort Saul. I hope we don't have 100-year-old listeners here. But the guy is absolutely a uh, legend and you know one of the godfathers of comedy, really, if you think about it. And, uh, you know, I think if we look at, um, uh, I hesitated to do, so he, he passed away, Mort Saul. Um, I think like the week we started this podcast, uh, or definitely the month we started it, he passed away in October of 2021. And I considered doing an episode then, um, but we were already doing Norman Lear and Lenny Bruce in the first few episodes. And I was like, you know, how far back do we want to go? Because I like doing. Um, people I'm a little more familiar with generally. And that has panned out as far as uh, listeners of the episodes. Those seem to be what you guys like as well. But I figure if we're going to talk about the history of comedy, like I think the two most fascinating episodes we've done to me are Lenny Bruce and the Three Stooges, because I didn't know as much, and uh, Jackie Gleason as well, because I didn't know as much about them going in. And I feel like I learned a lot. And the the fascinating thing about these guys is that they built something that didn't exist. You know, like the geniuses we talk about today worked with a template that was, I said that weird, a template that was in place (laughs) and improved upon it and, you know, made it their own thing and innovated in their own different ways. But guys like Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, Three Stooges, Jackie Gleason, they created something out of nothing. They took an art form that didn't exist and just uh, made it a staple for the next, you know, hundred years, essentially. So it is really very impressive. And we'll get into um, Mort Saul because I figured, you know, you can't tell the history of comedy without uh, a guy who invented a genre. So I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, learn something. If you didn't know about Mort Saul previously. Um, and then, you know, who knows next week we'll get back and do a, uh, um, the stuff that we usually talk about, but first I want to tell you guys to go to blindmike.net because if you like that stuff that we usually talk about, you're getting bonus episodes, baby. Um, the opium gym episode will be up when you're hearing this for free. It'll all already be up on Patreon. Um, other bonus episodes we've done include the Pelican brief. Uh, Carl joined us to talk about that Howard Stern meeting. Uh, we did Joe Matarese part two. We've done the Pablo Francisco drinking game, which was a lot of fun. Um, coming up soon, we're going to do Norm on The View, I think. Uh, and we'll have a bunch of other episodes like that. But yeah, Opie and Jim is a follow-up to the Opie and Anthony episode that we did. Um, and by far our longest episode, by the way, like two hours, right, Craig? Yeah, I think it was an hour and 58 minutes. Yeah, so definitely our longest episode. We had a lot to get to in that one. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And uh, you can get all these bonus Why You Laughings on the Patreon as well as uh, these episodes a week early. Um, so, you know, like the uh, uh, Brian Regan episode you could have heard two weeks ago if you wanted to. Um, so get on the Patreon, get signed up for that. 
We also have, you know, the Blind Mike Project and Quincy up there if you want to indulge in that stuff in the higher tiers. Um, or support the show for free. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, all those links are at blindmike.net. You can find our merch there as well. Um, and the links to the Blind Mike Project and who are these socials, all the shows uh, that your boy hosts are on blindmike.net. So make sure you support that if you'd be so kind. And shout out to Trust the Profits, um, a, gam- a gambling uh, YouTube channel. Um, I think they mostly cover uh, horse racing, so it's their big time of year. But I just mentioned them because um, those guys have been helping us with some of our YouTube stuff and uh, like the artwork and stuff that we've been putting on there. So check that out, check them out as well and uh, show them your support, if you'd be so kind. But really more important, if we're being honest, is blindmike.net. All right? I like uh, I like how much we've grown as a show, by the way, because if this was recently and he died. We'd be milking his death for all it was worth. <laughs> when he died before, like, yeah, hey, we'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we'd be posting it over. That's what my plan for when Bob Newhart dies. He has outlived my prediction by months. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought we'd be posting that all over the place. Yeah. But um, yeah, so Mort Saul lived a. A uh, very long life, but what re kind of piqued my interest in him is when we talked about Bill Hicks a few weeks ago. He mentioned Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce in kind of the same vein, and I had always heard the name Mort Saul in the vein of an old comedian, because a lot of people would refer to him as like kind of a hack in a weird way, and I knew him as like the guy who went up with his newspaper. Um, and he had a very old timey name. That's the only reason I ever really referenced Mort Saul is I feel like he had the perfect old guy name. If you were referencing, you know, a, uh, for lack of a better word, a has been comedian from a hundred years ago, but I was very wrong about Mort Saul because the guy truly is a, a legend and is basically considered the first political comedian. Um, you know, unless you go back to, uh, Mark Twain and a guy that a lot of, uh, people in every, you know, interview and uh, things that I looked up for Mort Saul, everyone compared him to a guy named Will Rogers, um, who was an old time, like political satirist. And it's funny because, uh, Mort Saul commented on that a lot because people would always ask him, Oh, you remind everyone of Will Rogers. Were you influenced by Will Rogers? And he said, well, you know, I, I don't know that I love that comparison because, uh, Will Rogers, I mean, uh, uh, I'm saying that right. Yeah. Will Rogers um, was a, a, a bigot. And a lot of people will say, well, that's the time that he grew up in. And my answer to that is, well, that's awfully convenient, yeah. <laughs> which I think is kind of funny because if you look at guys like Mort Saul and uh, Bill Hicks and uh, Carlin, for sure, Lenny Bruce, they were very forward thinking. Um, so they were ahead of their times in a lot of ways where he, uh, Mort Saul didn't feel guys like, um, Will Rogers necessarily were, but, uh, he was the son of, uh, New York Jews, which you can probably assume by the name Mort Saul, <laughs> but he was born in Canada, um, Quebec, and then grew up in Los Angeles. So no real, um, New York ties, uh, and then at a, a very young age, the guy was always a patriot through to his core. He uh, joined the ROTC at 14. He was, uh, I guess, a great marksman. He won whatever they give out for that awards or badges. I'm not a military guy, but he was very good. 
apparently in the ROTC at age 14. And then at age 15, he ran away from home to join the military. <laughs> and uh, this is how different things were back then is that uh, it took two weeks for his mother to come and get him from the military. So like for two weeks, a 15 year old just pulled off that he was, uh, he was in the military. <laughs> that's but, gotta, that's uh, gotta be wild for a parent. Like I wonder where he is. Cause back you don't have cell phones. Hey, he's just gone. <laughs> <laughs> I will figure it out. You know, give us two weeks. We'll find him. <laughs> but that's, that's the great thing about learning about a lot of these old guys is, you know, and I, I know I say it every time, but they lived a life, you know, Whereas now a lot of people who want to get into any of the arts uh, grow up watching those arts. You know, I think it was Chappelle that said, like, uh, basically, I was raised on TV. And that's kind of how I got to be the way that I am. And, you know, I always reference the Norman Lear quote or, you know, paraphrasing. But Norman Lear said that, you know, I grew up writing about my experiences then the kids that watched my shows grew up writing about what they saw on television. <laughs> so that's, you know, that ends up how we get to this kind of, uh, um, now we have, you know, sitcom staples or even drama staples that are in every single TV show that are ever made because the people writing them, that's what they grew up doing is watching these shows that came before them. And a staple uh, of being an entertainer back then allegedly is just joining the military at a very young age. <laughs> And dropping well, out. Well, they had to. I mean, I always I, I think of that about baseball players too. When it's like, you know, Ted Williams had one of the greatest careers of all time and left for three years to fight a war. True. <laughs> like Great that's, that's the crazy thing about a lot of these these old timers is they, you know, they they wore a lot of hats. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but Mort Saul was no different. And then, uh, you know, even though uh, his mommy told him he could not uh, go off to fight <laughs> the Nazis at age fifteen. Uh, he still joined the military um, when he was of age, and but it was even a rabble rouser back then because uh, I guess there was some sort of like he, uh, he was stationed in Alaska, and there was some kind of like military base n newspaper or newsletter or something, and he would get in trouble because he would write essentially like anti, not necessarily anti-military, but against the establishment against what he was supposed to be doing. Right. You know, he would constantly grow his hair and his beard out and, uh, you know, fight the power, so to speak. And, uh, so eventually he was, uh, discharged, I believe honorably. Um, but he was, uh, discharged from the military after being a, a real hell raiser. And then, um, eventually got into comedy. He won, uh, problematic note. And let's try and remember the guy was born a hundred years ago. All right. <laughs> but I do have to note yeah. that his uh, first wife he met when he was uh, 26 and she was 16 and they were married for three years. So they were divorced by the time she was 19. I guess she was, uh, you know, past her prime by then. She, her but, brain fully matured and she went, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Or Mort said, well, that's enough of that, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 19 was an old maid by Ed Beckman. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, one reason that was important in Mort's life is because it brought him to, um, I, I, she went to uh, Berkeley College, I think, out, up by San Francisco. And it brought him out that way. 
And, uh, you know, San Francisco throughout the years has had a real comedy scene. Like, you know, obviously New York and L.A. are famous for that. Um, Boston in the 80s is probably the best example of having a real legitimate comedy scene. I know a lot of guys have come through Chicago, but San Francisco is a place that probably doesn't get enough credit for um, how many people started their careers there. Uh, You know, we talked about that with Robin Williams a little bit, too. But uh, Mort Saul started out there. And, you know, like I said about uh, Lenny Bruce and these other guys, is uh, Mort Saul had to create a genre. He would perform at these, like, nightclubs and, and um, you know, strip clubs and all kinds of places that these guys had to perform because there wasn't even such a thing as comedy, you know? Like, you didn't make a career out of comedy. These were guys on the fringes who just wanted to get on stage and tell jokes. And um, Mort would write plays like uh, kind of essentially I have now they would just be called one man shows, you know, but again, that didn't really exist at least not in the way that Mort was doing it. So he would kind of write these plays for himself to perform on stage. And even that didn't really quite, um, catch on until uh, he was performing at the Hungry Eye in San Francisco. I, the letter I, I guess, which I think stood for intellectual, which boy, does that seem like a pretentious place? Sure Jesus. does. <laughs> I don't know if it was, if it was that way at the time, but in hindsight, boy, does that sound like a, a real highfalutin establishment that you wouldn't be hearing comedy now. You it, know, it's the name that the purple onion wished it had. Yeah, I don't imagine Tim Dillon was walking into the hungry eye. No. I guess is my point, you know? No. Um, but uh, so he would perform at the hungry eye and he started out performing for $75 a week, which uh, I always love the money in those days. But I guess that'd be the equivalent of roughly like $750 now. Um, and, you know, by the time he was done there, not done, but by the time he reached his peak there, he was making $3,000 a week, which again was the equivalent of about $30,000 now. Um, so he really rose to prominence. And what his act was, was it appeared to be like reading the newspaper, you know? And that's where you'll see, you'll see, you've seen that parodied a lot, I'm sure, and didn't even realize it was a Mort Saul reference. But he would go up on stage with, you know, whatever, the New York Times or whatever it was. And just basically use that as a reference, you know, like he wasn't actually reading the newspaper, but he would just kind of use it as essentially a a prop. Um, But the reason he had it up there with him is he would have these notes in the back of the newspaper of just topics, essentially, that he wanted to hit, you know, headlines or subjects that he wanted to make sure that he hit um, by the end of the show. And uh, it was all like improv essentially it was just him riffing you know so basically what mort saul was doing you know the easy answers for who mort saul influenced would be guys we've named a bunch of time bill hicks uh george carlin bill maher john stewart um lewis black for sure but Really, I think of almost like news, you know, Rush Limbaugh and Alex Jones and um, political radio, I think, took a lot more influence from Mort Saul because basically what he was doing was going on stage and doing an hour long radio show every night. (laughs) 
Um, and, 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 you know, performed in a way that would captivate an audience, a live audience, uh, which is different than radio, I understand. But that is kind of what he was doing. And it was very beneficial to him because, like I said, he was contracted to play these shows at the Hungry Eye, um, you know, night in, night out or week in, week out. But people would come back to see him, you know, um, like you'll hear this a lot in comedy where a guy will come back, you know, a guy will play here in uh, Laugh Boston and then come back a year later and you'll hear people say like, ah, I saw him last year and he did the same, some of the same jokes. So literally if a comedian does the same jokes a year later now, they catch shit. So what Mort Saul was doing was different jokes every single night. Like he, so he would talk about to- sometimes you would just talk about topics once and never address them again. So people would come back and be like, Oh, I wonder what he's going to talk about tonight. You know, if there's a big story in politics that night, they're like, Oh, let me go catch Mort Saul live tonight, which is pretty interesting. Sounds like he invented podcasting in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who get credit for that. Howard Stern, obviously probably being the big one. Um, but yeah, in a lot of ways he did kind of invent that, um, that sort of genre. And the other thing I find interesting is like, you know, John Mulaney played here in Boston um, when he was sort of making his comeback and he played, he did 21 shows at the Wilbur theater. And when you see that, you're like, Holy shit, 21 shows. That's unreal. Um, he did one run at a venue for 88 weeks. <laughs> Mort Saul did. <laughs> so, so a lot of the, uh, you know, the records that you see now, these guys had nothing on Mort Saul. Uh, so he was, you know, and, and he got to be pretty massive, which we'll, we'll get into in a second. Uh, but first, I think our first clip is him talking about, uh, the old days kind of running with Lenny Bruce. Cause there's a lot of parallels with him and Lenny Bruce. So a lot of people naturally kind of compare them, but they were also very different. Um, but we'll hear him. I think he's on Letterman here, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's with uh, Letterman talking about his days rolling with Lenny Bruce. Uh, were you guys pretty much on the same level, or was one a little farther ahead uh, of the others? Well, uh, he can incite people more than I could, you know. Uh, we worked uh, together in San Francisco. He was at a club called the Purple Onion, and I was at the Hungry Eye, and they were across the street from each other. And he had a deal with the club owner to pay him every night. He never, he never uh, trusted club owners. Mm-hmm. And he had a Volvo station wagon, and if they didn't pay him every night when they closed out of the receipts in the uh, cash register, he would take all the furniture out of the club, you know, tables mm-hmm. and chairs, and put it in the Volvo, uh, held hostage till he got his money. Yeah. <laughs> when he was busted for profanity, you know, they had police in front yeah. who would listen. You know, he never knew they were playing close police, even though they had uh, white socks and rather short haircuts and all. But he never caught on. And then he, one of his devices was to swear in Yiddish. But then they got bilingual police, you know, to sit in front. So he'd swear and they'd arrest him. Yeah. And I would go back and do his show and collect and go down and bail him out. Right. On, at the San Vicente and Santa Monica Boulevard at oh, the sure. sheriff's station. Yeah, right? right? You remember that. So... Uh, I only did 12 minutes in those days, see, so I could do his show, too. And the star would do about an hour, you know, Peggy Lee or whoever. And uh, a lot of people who see me now, you know, they'll say, uh, well, Gene, now you do an hour and a half. What happened to your discipline? So I always say, well, there wasn't that much wrong then, so I could cover it faster. Anyway, I would do 
uh, his show, and then I, I would go back and do my show across the street, and I would do his show, and I'd go back and do my show, and we did three shows that. Yeah. And it was a big convention of doctors in town for the American Medical Association. They're all reeling around the street without their wives, and they've got those buttons on. It says, hi, my name is Fred, you know, mm-hmm. Western Regional AMA. <laughs> so I'd finished... His second show was going back to do my second show, and it's across the street. These three doctors came lurching toward me, and a guy said, hey, kid, there's a guy in the other club doing all your material. (laughs) So, honestly, Lenny Bruce getting arrested was beneficial for Mort Saul because he could just run across the street and do his his show, too. It does sound beneficial. Nice payday, although you had to bail him out because he said ass or something, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's so here's the interesting thing about their relationship and their, you know, sort of parallels and everything is Lenny Bruce for that time was filthy. (laughs) You know, he was purposely like literally the guy was getting arrested for using profanity on stage. Um, Mort Saul hated that sort of shit. He hated like dirty language and crass being crass just for the sake of it and things like that. Um, yet they were, were friends. And the other thing is everyone will kind of say, Oh, well, any Bruce did, you know, Mort Saul's act better, you know, like I think Lenny Bruce has a much better reputation in comedy than Mort Saul does. But I, I believe it's because Mort Saul was a victim of a living longer like I said, he just died a year and a half ago. Um, and that's, you know, it's a thing we talk about a lot. Like uh, I always mention this with uh, Farley or actually the, the example I really use is Nirvana because I always say like, you know, Kurt Cobain is now a legend, but there's a chance he would just be a pundit now on NBC that you're like, All right, we got it, man. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Global warming, we hear you. Yes, Kurt, we understand. Private jets, bad. Got it. <laughs> so you know, there's there is something to that about like you know dying dying young does preserve your legacy in a, a sad way. Um, but uh, th- the other thing that I I did note is like Lenny Bruce was more. You know, he would comment on like the government and things, but it's more the grand scheme of things, the way Carlin did and even the way Chappelle does now. And I'll mention some parallels. I think Mort Saul and Chappelle have later, but like um, where, yes, you're talking like technically, you know, politics, I guess it could be put in that frame, but it's more, um, more broad, the topics that Lenny Bruce would talk about, whereas Mort Saul would literally talk about headlines. So I can listen to, you know, a Mort Saul clip from the 80s, like even this interview he did with Letterman, and he'll reference politicians that I don't know who the fuck he's talking about. I was going to say he did, he did a lot of local newspapers, too. Yeah, right. And, so, and, and, you know, to that audience in 1958, oh, probably hysterical because they know exactly what the fuck he's talking exactly. about. Exactly. But to me, in 2023, what is this old bastard <laughs> hammering on about, you know? Yeah. And I will say, too, because he doesn't curse, he comes off as a little more kind of schmaltzy than Lenny Bruce did. Even, I mean, Lenny Bruce is saying daddy-o and shit like that that uh, doesn't hold up really either. But uh, Mort Saul, just based on his tone, just sounds a little more schmaltzy. The other thing I noticed... Uh, is he does he sounds like Howie Carr a little bit. I don't know if you pick that up in his voice, Boston radio guy. <laughs> yeah, he does a little bit, right? A little bit, yeah. 
Um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he came up with Lenny Bruce, but then starts kind of uh, touring the country, and he grew to be you know massively successful, and he was the first, not just the first political comedian. Um, you know, like without him, there's no Bill Maher, John Stewart, Trevor Noah. But the interesting thing about Mort is he was purposely antagonistic to his own party. Like he was a liberal for sure, or a Democrat, whatever he would have defined it as. Scumbag. Um, but, but, but he would rail against his own party. Um, and he wore that as a badge of pride. Whereas now when Bill Maher does that, like Bill Maher will step against, you know, the Democrats or the liberals and people will say, oh, well, then he, he's a fake liberal. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no. He's one of you guys. He's just telling you some of the things you're doing wrong. Right. You know? He's telling you how to improve in his mind. Right. But there's no room for that anymore. Whereas, you know, people back in the day found it captivating when Mort Saul would do that. Now, to kind of play devil's advocate to my own point here, I think some of that is because there weren't 10 million outlets. You know, now if you want the opposing view to MSNBC, you just click up a couple channels to Fox and it's right there. Whereas you would really have to seek out a liberal with the opposing viewpoint in 1958. If you wanted that, as far as entertainment goes, <laughs> that was, that was work for you to find, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was on the cover of Time Magazine in 1960. Um, his album, was it called Live at Sunset Beach? I should have that writ, uh, in my notes somewhere there. I think it was Live at Sunset Beach. Um, that's considered the first comedy Live. album ever. Live at Sunset Beach. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's that, It's considered the first comedy album, essentially. Uh, no one was just recording them talking and selling it, but uh, that's what Moore did and put it out and it sold a ton of copies. Um, he also hosted, um, I think they had like co-hosts back then, which is kind of what they've done in the last couple of years as well for the Oscars. Um, but he was one of the, co one of the co-hosts at the Oscars. And he also hosted the first ever Grammy awards way, which is kind of hilarious um, because if you think of the Grammy Awards now and you think of this old Jew talking politics <laughs> would be so completely out of place. Mm. But but uh, yeah, he hosted the first Grammys as well, because that's the thing is like now you kind of look at Mort Saul as this old stiff. But back then he was cool. He was hip, you know, mm. um, and even we'll talk about his his downfall. But when he made his comeback, it was colleges. Uh, you know, now colleges are thought of as very uptight and you could never get away with any uh, innovative or edgy material at colleges. But colleges saved Mort Saul's career because he could go play these colleges because that's where you could go if you were rocking the boat a little bit. You know, in the 60s and 70s, that's where you went for edgy material. And now it's the exact opposite. Yeah, the Grammys now, all the Mort Sauls are backstage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mort Sauls, yes, are running the, uh, running the show. But um, what is, uh, I, we're going to bounce around. I, I fucked up the timeline a little bit here, so I think we're bouncing around. Is our next clip the Kennedy stuff? Yep. Okay, so this is after Mort Saul is massively famous, obviously, because like I said, he was on the cover of Time in 1960. Um, so he's a huge star. Uh, going into the 60s. And 
Um, then he worked for <laughs> John F. Kennedy, which is again something you don't see a lot of comedians doing working for the the president. Um, he would basically write what they referred to as patter, which my interpretation just on everything I read was that he wouldn't necessarily write jokes for Kennedy, but kind of like write riffs on topics basically. So it wasn't Kennedy doing setup punch, but he would kind of write things that filled out his speech with a little humor basically. Um, so let's hear a little bit about uh, how that all kind of came together. During the campaign, Mort received a job offer from an unlikely source. Joseph Kennedy asked Mort if he would contribute jokes to the presidential campaign speeches of his son, Senator John F. Kennedy. Mort took the gig. So uh, uh, they brought me to the, uh, the altar as a burnt offering to the Kennedys. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and the old man was naive enough to think that I would uh, get right in the line. I guess they didn't listen closely to the act of what that act is. Of course, uh, Senator Kennedy, and that brings up the issue of faith, so you must all remember to be tolerant and judge a man on his ability, not his faith, which is our tradition. And as Senator Kennedy himself has often said, as far as he's concerned, the hereafter is taken care of, but November is driving him out of his mind. I need to value performers in a campaign. If I wanted to help a guy become president, I would endorse the guy running against him. I think that should be the most help. And it's interesting to hear him say that because that's a kind of a code he lived by is like, if I'm talking about a politician, I'm pointing out their flaws or things I disagree with, basically. You know, I'm not up here on stage to wax poetic about Kennedy. So, you know, I guess Joe Kennedy as a businessman was like, if we get this really popular, funny guy to give jfk jokes that's going to make him more likable but what mort said to him and we'll talk about the phrase loyal opposition when it comes to mort saul a little later but he that's what he said that's the phrase he used to kennedy is uh, to joe kennedy that is is i think you misunderstand i'm the loyal opposition i'm supposed to be against you guys so He's, he takes the money, you know, which you can judge that however you will as far as um, his morals. But like he, he did take the money, but he was always, um, much like when he was in the military, he was always doing his best to rock the boat. And it caused a lot of people in that, in that camp to uh, really have a lot of disdain for Mort Saul. Now, by other accounts, Mort and JFK became very good friends. Um, like they, they were very close, but I think, uh, some of the powers that be did not like, uh, having Mort around and felt it was a bad move. He can't be the funniest guy in the room. <laughs> well, I think it was more the, uh, the points he was making a lot bothered him. Um, but, uh, what, what's that? This is by the way, from a, a documentary, I believe that was on PBS, uh, 20 something years ago that we're pulling from here, but what's next? Uh, get in line. Yeah, I mean, well, this is this goes to what we were speaking about, where you know, Mort was stepping a little out, a little out of line, and uh, um, back then it was a lot easier to silence people too. So, in 1959, I was represented by a man from Beverly Hills named Milton Evans. In 1960, after the election, 
Evans returned and said to me, uh, the old man is unhappy with what you're saying. If you'd only listen to reason, uh, you would do much better. And I informed him that uh, I had no grudge against the president, but it's my basic policy to do jokes about the incumbent. And he finally told me that if I didn't get in line, which means kid Republicans only, I would think a house fell on me because the ambassador was very unhappy. I said, well, what's going to happen? Can you be specific? He said, you'll see. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> you'll see. But what I, what I love about that, and the, the main reason I walked away from um, like the prep for this episode really liking Mort Saul and respecting him is right there when he said it's my basic policy to make jokes about the incumbent. He's not saying it's my basic policy to make the jokes about uh, the Republican president or the Democratic president or nominee or whatever. He said, I'm, make, I'm making jokes about the incumbent. So whoever is becoming president, <laughs> I, I'm writing jokes, baby. Yeah. Um, and that was his general policy. Whereas now, when you look at late night, you look at Colbert and Kimmel and you know, like I said, God forbid anyone rocks the boat like Bill Maher. It's, oh, well, he's faking being a liberal. He's actually a Republican now. Not at it's all. It's like, now he doesn't agree with everything 100%, but that doesn't change. He was considered a fucking left-wing moon bat for many years, Bill it, Maher was. It's crazy, too, because everyone forgets, like, how much that guy hates Trump because he made a slight joke towards Biden. So everyone's like, fuck him. <laughs> right, yeah. Or even just like, you know, Bill Maher talks about uh, woke culture and people try to put um, Republican or Democrat on that. It's like, no, the guy's 70 years old. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. he's not going to agree with what your limits are on speech and things like that. So that's what I really liked about Mort Saul is that he's like, oh, I'm making jokes. And it's something I think SNL used to hold true to. Correct. Like, I would say they made pretty equal joke, like um, Dana Carvey as Bush senior and Phil Hartman or Daryl Hammond as Clinton. I'd say the, the shitting that both guys got were pretty equal for sure. You know, or if you want to use uh, Bush junior, I guess is a better example. Um, but yeah, like the, the mocking that the president got on say SNL, didn't matter if they were Republican or Democrat. Whereas now I don't know the guy that plays Biden on SNL because it's made zero impact. I have no idea who he is. No clue. I was Jim um, Carrey, I think. Right. It, well, and then it was Wee Harrelson, I think. But now it's just a member of the cast, which is what it should be. But I don't think they're roasting him, which is a stunning because in the 90s, again, no matter what you believe, uh, which, by the way, Mort Saul was making Joe Biden jokes in the 90s, which tells you just how old this yeah. fucker is. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, no matter what Biden's done, like good or bad, he's a very mockable character. Oh. It should be very easy to make fun of. If I was one but of the like, cast members, I'd be furious because this would be an all time character to play. You'd want. Yeah, you'd be people should be you know, clawing each other's eyes out to play Biden. Right. But it's like I've never seen a sketch and not just SNL any any anywhere that does you know, political sector. I've not seen a good Biden sketch, which is pretty stunning. But Mort Saul's policy was, hey, I don't care. If, even if I voted for this guy, I'm going to be shitting on him. You know, it's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So that was something I respected a lot about him. But uh, I don't think things went well for old Mort. Is that right? <laughs> uh, this is uh, the investigation. So this is where things get a little hairy. And this is where I'm conflicted on how I feel about the route Mort Saul chose, but let's play the clip and I'll tell you a little more about my thoughts on it. 
First of all, everybody who saw me said, what is, what is this guy doing down here? I mean, what is a big star like Mort Saul doing in New Orleans talking to Garrison? What is he looking for? You know, people thought that he was trying to, to get something. I mean, what did, what did he expect to gain from getting involved with the assassination? Uh, so, so I guess you might say that at first glance, everybody had that question. But I think that it's fair to say that very soon people found out uh, that the only real uh, reason for Mort being down here was that he actually wanted to help uh, with the investigation. I mean, he wasn't Mort Saul, the entertainer. Uh, he was Mort Saul, the investigator. And he did what everybody else was doing. Uh, Garrison gave him assignments, and uh, he went out there and he did the assignments. He went all over the country. He interviewed witnesses. Uh, he evaluated evidence. Uh, he introduced Garrison to people uh, that maybe Garrison wouldn't have gotten introduced to. Uh, and I might add, he did it at his own expense. So if you're wondering what the hell he's talking about, Mort Saul got involved in the Kennedy investigation? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you may not have not even known it was him, but he was portrayed in the movie JFK, by the way. Um, because Mort Saul went down to New Orleans when Jim Garrison was... So obviously... Um, uh, spoiler alert, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in uh, November of 1963. What? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry to <laughs> blow that for you, but it happened. And like I said, Mort Saul had a personal, it's not just the president getting shot, which was obviously a was massive his, deal. Yeah, it was his buddy. His buddy. His buddy got shot, and Mort truly believed that the government had conspired to kill him. Um, and he was also of the belief that um, thinking it was the mob essentially let the government off too easy. That was basically the the stance that Mort took. He's ahead and of so his time, saw, man. What's that? Said so he was ahead of his time. He certainly was. I mean, yeah, in many ways. And uh, you know, he he Mort Saul saw this guy uh, Jim Garrison, who was a very handsome man, by the way. Um, saw him kind of saying a lot of the things that Mort Saul was thinking. And Mort was obsessed with the the assassination and, you know, what we would consider conspiracy theories, but he believed was the just the truth. Um, and so what ended up happening in Mort's career is he would go up on stage and read the Warren Commission's report. Um, and add, the same way he would go up with the newspaper, but now he's going up with the Warren report and riffing on that. And so what's interesting is you'll hear a couple different accounts. You'll hear people say, uh, oh, Moore wasn't funny during this time. This is when he lost it. He lost his mind. He was just reading transcripts and he wasn't funny anymore. But uh, this is something that people said about Lenny Bruce as well. And it's interesting because I don't know if we talked about this angle of Lenny Bruce when we did uh, the episode about him uh, last year. But what... Um, what happened with Lenny Bruce is he was reading court tra transcripts. And I remember quoting one of his jokes that I actually thought was funny, uh, which is interesting just because the way he talks, a lot of Lenny stuff doesn't necessarily hold up, but um, he's reading the transcript and the guy delivers one of Lenny's jokes. And he's like, isn't it true that you said this with some profanity in it? And Lenny goes, and now I got to go up and it's the worst thing because I got to defend this guy's act, <laughs> which is, is very funny. And I remember finding that funny and I was like, oh, I thought people said he wasn't funny at this time. Maybe he just got lucky on that one. But then when I was looking through some of this Mort Saul stuff, 
people were like, you know, it's a conspiracy. Then I believe Bill Hicks believed in this, by the way, in some of the interview that we played with Bill Hicks, mm-hmm. he kind he gets into this a little bit where uh, a lot of people believed that it was just what, you know, whoever you want to say, but the, the, the powers that be, it was um, the, the narrative that they painted that Lenny Bruce was no longer funny when he was reading these transcripts. And same thing with Mort Saul. The, the narrative was now he's not funny because he's reading these Warren Commission reports. Obviously, I wasn't there. I have no idea. Long before my time. But you would hear a lot of people say, no, that's not true. And the only evidence I have, because I don't have an opinion on whether Mort's funny, because it was just uh, not really my style and too far before my time to, for me to give a real honest opinion on it. But the evidence I would have and point to is that the guy was still selling out shows. Right. Now, what happened was when Kennedy gets involved, when Joe Kennedy, that is, gets involved, uh, it's harder for Mort to find venues. So it's easier to paint the narrative that he's not funny anymore because he's getting less and less gigs. Um, And he went from, by the way, making the equivalent of in today's money, um, well over a million dollars a year to making $13,000 a year in today's money. Which, which is, I mean, oh, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good uh, drop off. It's a, it's a significant drop off, Craig. And I'd go as far as to say Joe Kennedy wins that round. <laughs> well, Joe Kennedy was a dirty, dirty man. He was, uh, he was connected to the mob and he was a, he was a former bootlegger. Well, so, I mean, you know, Mort has a lot of um, theories about not just that family, but the government. He believes that the CIA dosed him with LSD. Mm-hmm. Um, because Mort was not a drug user. Uh, he wasn't really a, too much of a drinker either. I don't believe. Uh, but there was a night where, you know, he, he drank something. Not, I don't even know if it was alcohol, but he drank something. And on the drive home, he started hallucinating and crashed. Uh, and his car was like in a ditch or crashed into a telephone pole or something. And he truly believes that he was dosed with LSD. He's like, I, I didn't do LSD, so I can't really tell you what it feels like, but that's how I believe it feels. And I believe that the CIA, and he's like, hey, they wanted to get Kennedy out of the picture. They could, they could easily do it to me. So, right. Um, but the other, oh, that's what I was going to say, is the interesting thing about Mort Saul is it's pretty easy to discredit Alex Jones, uh, A, because he has one big swing and a miss that everyone points to. Huge. He has a pretty big, a uh, pretty big strikeout that a lot of people will bring up when it comes to Alex Jones. Other than that, he but was the Ted Williams of conspiracy theories. Certainly, he had, he had a lot of dingers, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, he had he had one big big black eye um, when it comes to his theories. But the real reason I think it's easy to discredit Alex Jones is because he will scream about turning the frogs gay and get drunk on Rogan and take his shirt off. (laughs) It's pretty easy to make a guy, even as it sounds funny, even if you've never heard of Alex Jones, it's pretty easy to discredit a guy like that. Yeah. Mort was sober, not just sober of, you know, drugs and alcohol. He seemed very sober minded. Like he was a very coherent, well thought out guy. He was not a nut, you know, even after working in this investigation, which I think could drive a lot of people crazy and being blackballed from comedy um, or entertainment in general. 
I think that could really drive a man nuts. Yeah. Um, but Mort always seemed kind of, you know, put together, which makes those theories like the CIA drugged me. There's a little more weight to it, at least in my, from my perspective, when a guy like Mort Salsa. Right. Plus, I, I also agree with them. I think the mob had a uh, heavy influence on the Kennedy assassination. Well, it's possible. Who knows? Um, that's for uh, the Kennedy episode we're doing. He was a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. What's next? I think we're still in this documentary. Yep. Uh, this one is uh, st- if still funny. Oh, I blew, I blew my wad. I forgot we had a clip about it, but this goes to <laughs> what we were talking about a minute ago. He, he read some things from the Warren Report. He made fun of them, and they were funny. There were some funny things said, but I got to a point where every time I'd hear Kennedy's name mentioned when he was on stage, I'd just freeze up because I knew the people were saying, oh, God, here he goes with the Kennedys again, you know? I mean, all of a sudden, you, you've got this guy who gained a worldwide reputation for being controversial. He gets involved with an investigation with Jim Garrison on the assassination, and all of a sudden, everybody's saying, you better stay away from that guy because that guy is really run amok. He and Garrison have run amok. They're so involved in that case that Mort is not funny anymore. He's just not funny. But of course, that was hard to believe because he was as funny as ever. I'm actually glad we played that clip because it reminded me of a point I wanted to make where you hear the kind of two conflicting points there where one guy says he's as funny as ever. But the first guy you hear, he's like, you know, I just got I got sick of it. I got sick of the Kennedy stuff. It was uh, that nation. It was that times COVID jokes. Yes. Or well, the, the so the comparison I thought of, which I actually think is really a, a pretty solid one-to-one comparison is Chappelle with trans stuff. Yeah. And yeah. well, there, here's the, but here's the reason I find that way. That's not even me shitting on Chappelle. No, I get what you're saying though. Because there's, um, you know, like it's uh, Kirk will mention it sometimes on KMS. We'll talk about whatever, whatever the story is that everyone's freaking out about. And it's so important, you know, a perfect example is black lives matter. We were fucking marching in the streets a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, we were, we were setting, setting buildings and Twitter ablaze with our takes on black lives matter and defunding the police and everything. And then other things happen, kind of forgot about it and moved on, you know, and then people put the Ukraine in their Twitter bio and, uh, and people have forgotten about that. You know, it's just whatever the cause of the day is, you forget about, which there's two sides to that. One is, hey, people have to move on with their lives. You know, if I hear a guy talking about the Ukraine, we make fun of uh, on the Blind Mike Project. We make fun of our boy Richard Ojeda because you could tune into any episode of Ojeda Live and he's ranting about the same three topics every single day. Yep. But if you think that's important. Shouldn't you be talking about it every day? Correct. Well, you know? yeah, right. It's just, I, I agree with it, but that's when you just shut it off. you like, like, that's, I'll, I'll that, yeah, that's, that's the tough dichotomy where from Mort Saul's perspective, he's like, I am telling you the government conspired to kill the president. No, I won't shut up about it. <laughs> okay. Junkie. But, but if you're Mort's audience, you're like, no, no, no. I actually, I agree with you but I heard it last night and the night before, 
You know what I mean? So like Chappelle, when he puts out these specials where he has trans jokes, um, for him, he's like, I, I really don't think you as a nation are listening to the points I'm making or <laughs> the jokes I'm making. Yeah. yeah. So let me try that one more time. <laughs> so let me try it again. But then you listen to me. I'm a fan and I'm saying, no, like Dave, I got it. I agree with you. The problem is I agree with you and I'm the one watching your specials. Right. Right. You know, you're not getting through to the other side, you know? So that's the tough thing. It's like, where do you let that die? And more, you know, while I do think, Hey, the guy was blacklisted for sure. Mm -hmm. There are clubs that would not have him um, because powerful people told them not to, but there's also an element of, I can understand the audience getting sick of like, Dude, Kennedy's been dead for this. Is the investigation um, when he met with Garrison, that's 1967, four years after the assassination. So I get, and then when the investigation's done, like how long did that take? So I'm guessing I can completely understand the audience being like, dude, we got it. You know, either we agree or disagree with you at this point. But. Same team guy next. Yeah. <laughs> but then Mort's saying like, you obviously don't get it because nothing's changing, <laughs> you know? So I am, it, it's tough. It's tough to figure out what's the right, route to take um please talk about the san francisco giants please <laughs> yeah right right um all right what's next i think uh, we have one more clip from that doc right uh yeah victim of the times a little bit he was like a dog with a bone because he was outraged and he was incensed and he couldn't in his heart understand why people just wanted to let it go i think he was he was shocked not only at what happened as the rest of us were but how many people in the name of wanting to put it behind us turned vicious towards the people that didn't. That's probably a national psychosis that we uh, subscribe to. And Mort runs, uh, uh, treads the delicate line between entertaining and informing. He's not exactly a Jeremiah, but he is a person who tries to hold up a mirror. And I think people tend to resent it. We, uh, we're cultural amnesiacs. We don't like news to hang on. Uh, he's been a victim of the times in that regard. And that, I said that in a different way about Bill Hicks, where like, as far as his legacy goes, Bill Hicks might be lucky that he died at the age he did. Because if Bill, sticks, Bill Hicks is alive today, there's a lot of people that are no matter what his take is on today's issues, there's a lot of people that would be like, shut up, old man. We right. got, we know boomer, you know, right. that's a crazy, a voice like Bill Hicks would, people would be saying, okay, boomer to him <laughs> <laughs> if he were alive today. Right. And so I think Mort was also a victim of that where it's like, well, that, at a certain point now he's a, you know, 70, 80 year old guy. Um, ranting about these issues so people just don't want to listen to them which is sad but also I get it and you know like um, I, I I I fell into this uh, a year or two ago however long ago that was when um, I listened to Robert Malone on Rogan and I started like tweeting all the time about it and like I got really into it and then at a certain point I had to tell myself like you know what? I, I'm not smart enough to be the guy who's going to get through to people, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> other people might, there might be other people. I'm not the guy that's going to articulate this point in a way that unifies the nation. <laughs> so I should just shut the fuck up about it. 
but the burden that Mort Saul lived with is he was articulate and interesting and, you know, um, uh, forward thinking enough to get his message across to the country. So I think that's something he struggled with a lot is like, well, I had people are listening to me about this stuff. So I want to get it out there, but it just, you know, it, it, it was tough. And um, the main thing that helped out Mort Saul, uh, at least given my understanding is um, during the Vietnam war, you have a thing where a, a large portion of the country thought that was a war we should not have been in. Correct. Um, so the biggest, uh, you know, divisive issue of the day people actually want to hear about and are interested in consuming more information on. And so that kind of revitalized Mort's career in a way, because he, he would go out and talk about Vietnam and people would be like, Oh, okay. The Kennedy days are over. We can go listen, listen to him talk about something current, which I think helped him out a lot. He would but. have been an abysmal follow on Twitter. Oh God. <laughs> well, that, well, he, here's the thing that's different about Mort though. He always tried to keep it funny. I can't say always because there were a couple interviews I heard that were a little more morose. Um, so maybe not always, but he would try to keep it funny. But the other thing is like he was legitimate friends with people he railed against and voted against. Um, you know, like there, a lot of the names I'm not well versed enough in politics to know, but it's like you follow, you know, Rob Reiner on Twitter now. Ugh. And it's just him ranting about exactly who you think, you know, if you pulled up his Twitter today, it would be him going against exactly who you think he's going to go against. And then on the other side, the same is true of Rob Schneider. Correct. Which, by the way, Meathead and Deuce Bigelow are two of the big political voices of our time, <laughs> which really tells you a lot. But, but um, Mort was not doing that. You know, I think Mort would be making Joe, he would have been certainly... I'm sure he did make fun of Trump because he performed right up until COVID wiped everything out. Um, like he was performing into 2020, I think. So I'm sure he was making jokes about Trump. And then, you know, I think if you were alive today, he'd be making jokes about uh, Biden as well. So um, that is the one thing that I, you know, I, I, I do give him a lot of credit for, but um, I believe the next clip is one more about, Kennedy shutting down the hungry eye, right? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Bonaducci or what's his name? Uh, yeah, Bonaducci. Bonaducci. Yeah, talking about the hungry eye closing. Yes, Enrico Balducci, which is a, a great name. Balducci. <laughs> yeah, Milt Evans once came back from Washington and he came into the hungry eye and uh, he came back to talk to me. And he says he came back. He said a very important thing to tell you. He said you got to tell more to lay off a of jack because the old man is angry. He's going to go after him. He's going to go after you too. And Mort said, "What are you going to do, buddy?" And I said, "You just keep talking the way you're talking. And don't forget, forget about it. That's all. Don't worry about it." So one day I walked down to the hungry eye and uh, there's this uh, this onion leaf, uh, just a little onion sheet, and my secretary's crying and she's like, "What are you crying about?" She says, "Read this." It said four hundred ninety thousand dollars I owed the government. I says, "Oh, you got to call them up. They mean four hundred ninety or four dollars and ninety cents, not four hundred ninety thousand. I don't know them that." And uh, she says, I called, and you owe them that. I said, what, what? And in 30 days, they want the money. They're going to close your club. It got me about two months later. It came fast. Boom. Yeah. So literally his home club, they got really good. They were, uh, they had their sights. It's also amazing when it's like um, the, the amount of fish 
that Joe Kennedy had to fry. <laughs> it's amazing. He had that much time to think about Mort Saul, you know? Right. Um, but the other thing I, I do think of is like, um, you talked about him being, uh, you know, a, a bad Twitter follow, which is probably very true if he, you know, had Twitter today. But the I think the big difference is the reason he would be a shitty Twitter follow is because he would be one of 10 million voices where you're like, we got it. Yes, we understand. <laughs> Whereas in 1960, or, you know, when he started in the 50s, he was one of one. Right. You know, he was literally the only voice doing this on stage. Um, and then, you know, obviously guys came after him. And uh, I should have thrown in Dennis Miller, too, is definitely um, influenced by Mort Saul. But, you know, in, in Mort's day, he was one of the few guys, which makes it a lot more courageous. You know, now people that tweet think they're being brave by putting their opinion out there. There couldn't be anything less brave than tweeting an opinion in 2023. No it's what fucking everyone is doing, <laughs> you know. Right. But, uh, yeah, Mort was... Uh, Mort definitely was a, a trailblazer and a, a ballsy guy for um, doing a lot of what he did and never having a moment where he was like, all right, you know what? They're, you know, Ke Joe Kennedy and all these people are, uh, the CIA is coming after me. They're drugging me. <laughs> Maybe I should change how I do things. He never, he ne I mean, I'm sure internally he had those moments. But he never really had that moment where he changed who he was, which is definitely, you know, is it's the reason we're talking about him right now. Like on this, it's the reason any show would talk about him in 2023 is because he had the balls to not change who he was and kind of fight for what he believed. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, next, we have Woody Allen. Now, well, folks, let's try and remember Woody Allen's a comedy legend. You know, he's, he's a lot of other things as well, but I just thought it was important to put Woody Allen's perspective on this. Um, forget that Mort had a 16 year old bride. Also, when we're listening, just think of these as two legends and Woody is talking about Mort Saul. And one of the things that they told me to do, there's, a, there's this comic at the bitter end at that, the, the blue angel, sorry, uh, named Mort Saul. And I want you to go down, take a look at him, because we think he's kind of interesting, and see what you think. Because we're thinking of developing him for NBC, and maybe you could do some writing for him or something. And I went down there. I was, uh, again, I was just a kid. I was really 18 years old. And this guy comes out in a sweater with a rolled-up newspaper. And it just completely you know, changed the history of comedy. I mean, it was, it was you know, changed, if, if one could use the cliche, change the face of an art form, that's what it was. He, he was just amazing. He was such a skillful performer, so skillful that nobody thought he was performing exactly. They thought it was just a guy talking to him. People, I always heard comics say, I, why is everybody so excited about him? I, I do that all the time. I can just talk to people. And he, and he came out and his, everything about him was different. The way he dressed, 
the way he spoke, his vocabulary, um, the rhythm of jokes. It didn't have the same old uh, straight line, punchline snapper, that old fashioned rhythm. It would be the difference between old fashioned jazz and modern jazz. Suddenly, it was more legato, and he was going past where the punchline usually happens, and it would happen in a different place, in a different way. The rhythms were so unusual, and the references were all literate, and um, all the things that everybody was truly interested in. We weren't really interested in the comic's mother-in-law or his inability to find a parking space. We were interested in what more Saul was talking about, you know, uh, the variables of women's moods and and artistic things and politics and the uh, the flourishing of psychotherapy at the time. And he was just dazzling. And that, that I think is the, uh, oh, he made a lot of interesting points there. I thought, so I just thought it was interesting to hear, you know, because Woody Allen, uh, you know, outside of his, uh, controversies, <laughs> um, you hear Woody Allen's name thrown out a, lo- a lot more as a big influence in comedy than you hear Mort Saul's name. So I thought it was interesting to hear a legend like Woody Allen talk about what Mort Saul meant to comedy, but he makes a lot of good points in there. The first one being, uh, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, the way he talks and the rhythm of his talking, the, the rhythm of his speech is very modern. And that was the first thing I noticed about him because uh, Lenny Bruce didn't even have that. Right. And even Woody Allen, and maybe it's because Woody's been imitated so many times over. But even Woody Allen has like an old, kind of an old timey feel to the way he talks. Whereas Mort, Mort Saul, even the old clips of him, it felt very modern the way he was speaking. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I think that's something like, um, if he, if the subject matter he chose, like I said, was broader then you would think of him like Carlin because you know, people all the time, you'll see clips of Carlin going around where it's like, Hey, he was ahead of his time. See, it holds up today. He's talking about this thing, this thing in the news today. Um, I think Mort Saul would have more of that because his, he had such a conversational tone to him, but the reason like he's kind of been forgotten is because he was talking about, you know, headlines. Um, but it's the other interesting thing that's so prevalent today is when you hear Woody Allen say like Mort Saul's a guy that people would just watch and be like, Oh, I can do that. And I mean, that's, that's what podcasting is now is like, it's so oversaturated where every moron that can afford a microphone. No, not this program. This is a well done show. But other people, right? They are idiots. The other jabronis. Yeah, yeah, not us, but the others uh, that think they can just do a podcast. I mean, that's like the the good and bad of the internet is, you know, anyone's able to do it, but they, any fucking anyone's able to do it, you know? Right. Um, what's that? What do we have left for? Uh, we got two left. Uh, we have. Did I miss any notes before we play the last of our clips? Let's see. Did you talk about uh, Mort's father uh, and what he did for a job? I don't know if we mentioned that. I don't believe I did. Oh, he was. um, That's right. He was a failed playwright. 
mm-hmm. and then ended up working for the FBI. So that also, I think, added to his uh, cynicism about both entertainment and the government. Trust me, I have inside sources. <laughs> it's all more. It's all terrible. <laughs> Um, but the other thing, interesting thing about his parents is his dad is his parents met, um, his father put like a personal ad in some like poetry magazine or something. And it was something, it was, you know, very, uh, early 1900s. Uh, speak like if there are any other dreamers out there <laughs> this woman responded to the ad and they got married <laughs> had a son um the other sad note about his family is uh mort jr died of an overdose at i believe the age 19 oh. um and also mort was married three times and um younger or older well, What's that? So his next wives, do they go younger or older than his first? I've got to imagine older. <laughs> I'd really hope you so. Know, I didn't look into that, though. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else before we uh, wrap up with the last couple of clips? That was the notes. So uh, what do we have for clips? Uh, we have sick humor and loyal opposition left. Well, sick humor is a little bit of what I was talking about that I find interesting. So like he hated... Uh, like I guess he really trashed guys like Bill Maher, who we've referenced, and Al Franken. He really didn't like Al Franken and said these guys were just like crass and, um, you know, he, he was very much against that. And I guess in his book, he wrote, he was writing something about like his wife telling him to fuck off or something like that. And then in that, like on that page, he says, now I apologize for the language. <laughs> So he's very old school in that way. It's interesting um, for a guy that that's, that's that progressive in his thinking to be that buttoned up with language, but let's hear him talk about it a little bit. He's a real Cosby. <laughs> well, yeah, in some ways. I made him a couple. Speaking of contemporary scene, most of the uh, new comedians are showing a, uh, a great deal of hostility. And anyone, you know, who comes up and stands as an insurance salesman and verbalizes rather than dancing and doing imitations is automatically classified as an intellectual comedian. Uh, this is on, uh, this is due to my lead. That is true. I had a lead in time, too, because I started in 53. Uh, not because, because of, uh, well, because I was interested in the field of comedy. At that time, nobody was doing anything. But then television began to, to use people in volume and the agencies began to encourage new people. And I built myself a, uh, I weaned myself an audience in a year, and I built a circuit to work on around the country. And then when I wasn't available for that circuit, because there were just so many weeks, they would call other people. I don't say this to boast at all, but the people they would call are supposed to be, you know, my people and like me, or very much unlike me. I admire a lot of them, and I'm very friendly with a lot of them on a personal basis. Uh, a couple of them are very close friends, but they're... They're very unlike me. I mean, they're, you know, they're not slapstick comedians, but on the other hand, they're, they're not all that cerebral. However, the uh, a satire is still at a loss. In other words, uh, there is nothing satirical about sick humor, to my mind, and many of the new comics use sick humor. It's unrestrained hostility. And uh, I'm afraid I'm hard put to find the satirist operating. I hate, I hate that attitude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so to put it in uh, layman's terms, if that was a little too convoluted for you, I don't think he was a big fan of dice, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. 
Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think now here's where I think he has a point. Like, I don't agree with necessarily the point he's making, but if I adjust it, I do agree with it because I do think there are too many people who, um, either say like outrageous things and think they're, you know, making a point or, you know, uh, just the subject matter they talk about thinks that that means that defines them as an intellectual. You know, I do think there's something to that point where like, if you just kind of frame yourself in a certain light, that makes you an intellectual as opposed to the things you are actually saying, the actual thoughts you have. Um, So I think there's something there, but I don't, I also don't think making jokes about your dick makes uh, you a shitty comedian. You know what I mean? I think people have different ways of, of entertaining. And I actually don't think just because you're talking about politics versus sex, I don't think one is necessarily smarter than the other. Um, You know, I think that it matters on your approach. We talked about it with Brian Regan, where I think Brian Regan's a very smart guy. He just happens to be talking about refrigerators and uh, (laughs) (laughs) Pop-Tarts. You know, it's just the, the, the matter in which he chooses to entertain people. Um, so I don't love that. I don't love how judgmental more. And, you know, you joked about Cosby, but there is some similarity there where Cosby was very judgmental of people's humor. And, you know, I mean, the most famous example is Eddie calling Eddie Murphy and telling him not to uh, um, not to curse and things like that. And as uh, Hannibal Burris pretty bluntly said, this guy's been a fucking rapist. <laughs> Tell him to pull my pants up. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like uh, judging comedy in that way because it's not. And that's something I give Seinfeld a lot of credit for because I do think he's, you know, too pretentious and high minded in his philosophy of comedy. But he's very good at not judging other people's philosophy of comedy. Right. You but, know, but. Uh, by the way, we're going to have to do like an episode on uh, Hannibal Burris because ever since that happened, he disappeared. Yeah. You know what? The Hannibal Cosby thing is actually a good episode for the Patreon, I think, man. Mm-hmm. Subscribe, folks. Huh? Mm-hmm. Eh, uh But yeah, that's true. No, I've been thinking. I don't know where Hannibal went, but that's for another day. Um. Let's play our uh, last clip before we get. Oh, the other thing I did want to mention, too. That I don't know why that reminded me. Um, and I mean, I'm sure this is still technically true of like, you know, Kevin Hart and, uh, whoever, whoever, all these million people now that are Sebastian, these bunch of people that are playing arenas now. Um, but now you have, you know, your agent, your business manager, your tour manager, uh, your assistant, you have all these people that immediately get paid when you sell out an arena, you know? When, when Kevin Hart sells out Madison Square Garden, there's a long list of people that are getting paid for that. Mort Saul was charging what, you know, bands, like big, you know, orchestras were charging at a lot of these places and pocketing the money himself, mm-hmm. which was, you know, pretty nice. Good, so Good for him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he knew how to save because those days didn't last forever. Well, Judd, Judd, I think he did. Um, all right, let's hear our last clip here. And this is what I mentioned, the uh, loyal opposition. He's talking about that a little more. There's a time period, you know, when we heard him on Letterman um, and he kind of spanned the decades. There's clips of him on Letterman in the 80s and the 2000s. 
and you hear kind of a, a what I feel is a schmaltzier version of of Mort Saul. But like in the interview we just played, I do there there is a more podcasty Bill Hicksian vibe to Mort Saul that I think existed probably around the sixties when he was really pushing a lot of buttons. Um, but yeah, this is him talking about the loyal opposition. Well, this society shows no signs of a utopia. There are a great many things that uh, bear attacking. I think that the best thing anybody can do for this country is, and this country really needs a critic. I was once talking to a girl who belonged to the Democratic Party in Massachusetts, and she was critical of one of the candidates, and she said to me, he really isn't fit, in my view. I said, what are you going to do when you're called upon to vote? And she said, well, I'm a good party girl. I'm going to vote for him. And uh, it occurred to me that maybe the best thing she could do for her party was not to vote for him. Maybe the best thing you can do for your party is to criticize. You know, the old term, His Majesty's loyal opposition. I think uh, this country needs a critic in order to survive, as a matter of fact. It needs more than one, but so far it has one. We need, you need somebody on the attack who audits what we do. We've had enough uh, of the uh, gung-ho, you know, those people who will urge you to jump into the uh, ravine. And, you know, I think I think that's a great point. And I think they're always had uh, since Mort Saul. And, you know, uh, I mean, you go back to Mark Twain, and I'm sure there's a million examples throughout the history. But I'm talking specifically in stand-up. There always has been a Mort Saul, I believe, in some form or fashion. Um, whether you look at you know, Kinnison and Hicks or uh, Bill Maher or Chappelle or whoever, there there always kind of has been. And I worry that this next generation coming up doesn't necessarily have that, you know, a voice that is the loyal opposition. We'll, we'll find out in, uh, in due time. But uh, that is something I wonder about a lot. But, you know, it's something that... Uh, that Mort Saul lived by that, like I said, I, I, I really do uh, respect a lot about him. And it's the reason that I defend, uh, you know, like we brought up Alex Jones. I've never sat down and listened. I've never li- listened to an episode of Infowars or whatever the fuck it is. Me either. I don't even know where to find it. Yeah, but I know that Alex Jones says shit that people don't agree with. And so I think that's important. You know, I agree. Even if he's wrong, like he was clearly wrong about the Sandy Hook stuff. One billion dollars wrong. (laughs) Maybe not that much, because that's my that's my point is he should be able to say crazy shit like that. The burden should not. It should be on other people to research. You know, the burden should be on Alex Jones's listeners to look into what he's saying and decide whether or not they agree. It shouldn't be on the guy saying crazy shit necessarily. Correct, and uh, I think Mort Saul had a pretty good under, understanding of that, at least to some degree, and that's why I think he was so important to the history of comedy. So I thought we have to do an episode about the guy. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and at least found it interesting. Um, and you know, like I said, I try not to do many episodes about guys from. Uh, I, I keep saying a hundred years ago. He just died a year and a half ago, but you know what I mean. His prime was. Uh, 60 years ago. So 70, maybe. Uh, um, yeah. So, you know, I try not to go that far back too often, but like I said, you're talking about the history of comedy. You have to do episodes about Gleason and the Stooges and Lenny Bruce. And no, these, I think more, yeah, more Saul's on that list for sure. Yeah. You know, these episodes, I think, uh, the three Stooges, one of our best episodes. 
It's one of my favorite. Although I will call, well, in all honesty, I'll call that the Harry Cohn episode. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, was, he was my favorite character. I think eventually we'll do on the Patreon a uh, um, kind of a follow up to Harry Cohn. See what other what other hijinks he got in. I'm all for that. We we have to raise the dead for that episode. <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, rest in peace, Mort Saul, a true legend. And, you know, hopefully this, uh, go, uh, there's a, there's a biography on him and, um, I tried to listen to his book. It wasn't available on audible, the book that, uh, he wrote. Um, so I checked out the biography, but, uh, I think he has a, an autobiography where he really rips into people. <laughs> I guess oh, he really, he was not afraid to trash people at the end. Good. Um, oh, and I should throw out there just to get all the facts out there. He did have a show on ABC. We even while he was being blackballed, I don't know how nationally it was syndicated, um, but he did have a show on ABC. I think on like Sunday mornings or something where again, talk about podcasting and innovation. He would just sit at his beach house in California and just kind of talk about issues, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he was doing that back in the day, long before uh, the rest of us were. Uh, so rest in peace, Mort Saul. And uh, a lot of people say that what Mort would have wanted is for you to go to blindmike.net. They say that's really, um, he was a, an innovative guy. And like I said, we started in his final days of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what he wanted is for you to go to blindmike.net, support Why You Laughing. You can do that. All the free links, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, Get those YouTube numbers cooking, baby. We've been uh, we've been rolling on all platforms. So uh, make sure you subscribe everywhere for free. Leave a five star review. Subscribe and tap the notification bell on YouTube so you know when the episodes are out. Um, all of those help the all important algorithm. And uh, if you'd like to throw a few bucks behind us, you can find our merch. Plenty of why you laughing merch at blindmike.net. But more importantly. Excuse me. Get subscribed to the Patreon um, where you get a bunch of bonus episodes, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, Oh, and also I should throw in um, for you comedy fans, we're going to see uh, Matt McCusker. So we did our first ever gearhead meetup um, was in October to see Brendan Schaub, which I mean, a fun time was had by all, but I thought it was time to see a comedian that would make us laugh for more pure reasons. So we're going to see Matt McCusker, which I believe is the first time headlining at Laugh Boston on April 8th. Um, it supports the show in no way at all to buy a ticket. We're just going to go ha- hang out with you guys. Uh, I know a bunch of gearheads are going. Me and Craig will be there. Um, uh, as well as some big stars, perhaps. Who knows? Oh, Matt and Tim from Very Good Show. <laughs> yes, a lot, of, a lot of the big names, bro. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you want to hang out with us on April 8th, the Saturday early show, we're going to see Matt McCusker. Uh, so feel free to come down for that and support. Like I said, if you want to know who those names are that Craig just said, go to a very good show.org and support the, those boys over on very good show. Please. We appreciate you. Love you. Um, all right. That's it. Rest in peace, Mort. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time on Why You Laughing.